I don't know what you're doing tomorrow night, but tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, I will be at the Pima County Fair rocking out with our Bring the Rain. So if you want to praise the Lord in public with one of our worship bands, I hope you will join me. And then following Bring the Rain, Hands and Feet, which is Paul Omquist's band from Calvary Chapel, also amazing, at least I know because Paul is, right afterwards. So bring a hat, bring a couple of bottles of water, bring a chair, and whatever you want to do. But let's, let's hang out together tomorrow night at the Pima County Fair. Hmm? And I heard at the concert last night where the famous country singer was, a bunch of drunk people and cigarettes. So I think tomorrow night will be a better crowd. What can I say? I just insulted half of Tucson. <laughs> Okay, we've been working our way through the Bible, and we've gotten into the book of Kings, which is the history of all the kings of Israel and Judah. If you don't know the Bible story, God created a certain group of people called Israel, but their nation split into two, so there were two groups. The northern nation was called Israel, and the southern nation was called Judah. The northern nation started off evil, worshiping idols and turned its back on God and never stopped. They were destroyed because of it. The southern nation, known as Judah, which I will be calling Judah and Israel back and forth, um, went back and forth. Sometimes they followed God, sometimes they didn't, sometimes they did. They had a reformer king named Hezekiah, who we talked about not too long ago. Greatest king they'd ever had. An amazing man of God who went far and wide to preach the gospel, to bring people to God, rebuilt the temple, did great things. Really a man of God best king they had. His son, worst king they had. Which is a crazy thing, and we talked about that just the other week. I think it was last week. His name was Manasseh. After Manasseh, his son Ammon ruled, who was also evil. He only ruled two years, and he was assassinated. After him, Josiah, who was a good king. That's where we're at now. So we're almost at the end of Judah's history as well. Josiah was a great king. He was like, more like his great-grandfather Hezekiah than he was about these other guys. One of the things he did is he ordered the temple of God to be repaired. See, when these kings started worshiping idols and pulled people away from God, the temple just fell apart. Nobody paid any attention to it. They didn't keep it up. So he ordered it to be repaired. And while they were cleaning out the garbage, they found a book. The scribe, it was given to the scribe, by the high priest. He read it. He said, I got to show this to the king. And the way the scripture presents it is he didn't tell the king what it was. He just said, hey, look, we found a book. And then the king read it. Let me read to you from the story there. Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So the king says, read it to me. So he does. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, now we know what it is, he tore his robes, which is an extreme sign of despair, grief, purely upset. He was purely upset. He was mourning. When he says he found the book of the law, we're not talking about the speed limit for camels on Bethlehem Boulevard. All right? This was God's covenant, the Torah. This was the relationship document that God had with the children of Israel. And after he read it, he tore his robes in grief. Why? Listen. He gave these orders. 
Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. He didn't know. He was a great godly king and he didn't know the Torah. But when he learned it, he got upset. Properly so, because he read in the book where it said, if you worship idols, which his father, grandfather did, then I will destroy you. So he knew they were going to be destroyed, and he was scared to death. Hilkiah the priest and some of the other leaders went to speak to the prophetess Huldah. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods. Basically, God said, you're right. Everything you read is my word. It's true. It's going to happen. I am going to bring disaster on you, just like you feared. Great news. Go have some coffee. However, tell the king of Judah, because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people. Because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. God was going to destroy the place, probably during his lifetime. But because he humbled himself before God, God said, okay, I'll postpone it. I'm going to put it off. You won't have to experience this horrible judgment that's going to come on your city because of the sins of your people. That got me to thinking. God was going to judge Judah. And because of this one righteous man, God spared Judah. By the way, he led the entire city and the entire nation in repentance. They had a big gathering at the temple, and they renewed their covenant and commitment to God. Most of them didn't take it seriously because you just read the next couple of chapters and it's obvious. But at least there was this big, short-lived revival led by this king. And God said, fine, I'll put off judgment. But I started thinking from the beginning of the Bible up to our future, which the Bible talks about. When God's going to judge, he always makes a way for his people to avoid it. And I started coming up with some names and some circumstances and gave a bunch of data. The first one I wanted to come up with was this one. It's from Genesis 5. Here's what it says. It's about a guy named Enoch. He spent his life in fellowship with God, or as the King James says, he walked with God. And then he disappeared because God took him away. That's in Genesis chapter 5. Do you know what happens in Genesis chapter 6? The flood of Noah. So it's like Enoch was on the planet... He walked with God. He was a good man. And God said, okay, you're going to heaven. Next chapter, God floods the earth. Destroys everybody but Noah's family, which we'll talk about later. Enoch walked with God, and so he was spared. Josiah walked with God, and he was spared. In fact, he spared the whole nation for Josiah. It reminds me of the time where Abraham goes up to God because God told him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's, it's evil. And Abraham, knowing his relative, Lot lived there. He said, 
Well, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 people who are good there? Be it far from the king of the universe to condemn the righteous with the wicked. Wouldn't you spare it for 50? It's like Abraham felt like he had to talk God into it. <laughs> like God wouldn't destroy good people with bad people. God doesn't do that. And God said, of course I'd, sa I'd save the whole, 50, whole city for 50 people. How about 40? And God said, if there's 40, I'd save the city for 40. 30? I'd save it for 30. How about 20? I'd save it for 20. Which I'm thinking, wow, I wouldn't. <laughs> How about 10? I'd save it for 10. Oh, you know the story, it got destroyed. Because in that entire set of cities, it was Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain, God could not find 10 good people. So he wiped them off the face of the planet. Enoch is mentioned there. And then he's not mentioned again until the New Testament, where he's mentioned a couple of times. Here's the one I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken away without experiencing death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he won approval as one who pleased God. So Josiah walked with God. He was spared. Enoch walked with God, and he was spared. But I told you in the next chapter, we've got another righteous man to deal with. One left. There's one left. Noah. Here's what the Bible says, why he was spared. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Did you hear what I just said? Everyone on the planet, except for Noah, everyone on the planet, the thoughts of their heart were only wicked all the time. The entire world had gotten rotten. You know, there's some parts of town you don't want to walk in. But it's only some parts of town. And there's some bad people in our city. But it's only some bad people. It seems to be getting worse, like doubling and tripling every few years. But even now, it's not so bad compared to this. You just imagine the worst gang-infested armpit of humanity maybe the killings that have been going on in Mexico where you walk down the street and you get shot by dueling gangs and you might get your head locked. You just don't know. That's what it was like. Planet-wide, one good guy left. Sucks to be him. You got no friends. You can't walk down the street. You don't like anybody. Nobody likes you. They're just wondering how to rob and steal and kill from you. Not good. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Only a parent can understand the pain that must have been in God's heart at this time. Imagine the horrible situation of one of your children becoming evil and you have to be the one that executes them. Not a good thing. I am grieved that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. How did he do that? Talk about peer pressure. 
it would have been so easy to be like everybody else. He didn't have to resist a few buddies at the water fountain at school. He had to resist the world. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. And you know the story. God told him to build a boat, and he was going to spare him and his family. God spared Josiah and Israel. I'm going to spare Noah and your family. And I'm going to wipe the rest of the planet clean. We're going to give it a big bath and start all over again because it stinks. And sure enough, Noah built the ark. Some people mock. You actually believe that story, Steve? Oh, yeah. I very much believe it. You're kind of stupid, Steve, aren't you? You believe in uh, UFOs and leprechauns and the tooth fairy? And I tell him, eh, I don't know about the tooth fairy. <laughs> it doesn't upset me what people think. When somebody is smarmy and arrogant and insulting and wrong, why would that bother me? You know, shame on them. They shouldn't be that arrogant and wrong all at the same time. But they are. Why do I believe in a flood? Well, for several reasons. First and foremost, because the Bible said there was one, and I believe the Bible. And I've given you lessons before on why I believe the Bible, but the Bible is God's truth. It's just hands down, it is. Prophecy in there, the history in there, it's, it's you know, the spiritual life in there, it's, it's all true. So I believe it because the Bible says so. But I also believe it because of science. You realize that no matter where you go on this planet, they find fossils of marine creatures? Listen to this from the New York Times that great, stalwart, trustworthy publication. <laughs> Scientists have found fossils of whales and other marine animals in mountain sediments in the Andes. Among the fossils the scientists reported bringing back were the bones of whales and other marine animals found at altitudes of more than 5,000 feet. Listen, if you went up to top of Mount Lemon and dug and came up with a fish fossil or a whale fossil, that shouldn't surprise you if you read the Bible. It blows their minds. Oh, I wonder how that got there. Well, it must have walked. <laughs> I did a, several lessons on Genesis, including a few good weeks on the flood of Noah and all about the ark and the rain and all the geological and archaeological reasons to believe in it, uh, paleontological reasons to believe in it. If you want those CDs, they are available. But suffice it to say, the flood happened and God spared Noah. Josiah was spared because he walked with God. Enoch was spared because he walked with God. Noah was spared because he walked with God. So while I'm preparing this lesson a few weeks back, I'm getting some ideas here, and I noticed that these guys were all spared, but in different ways. Like Josiah was spared because God just deferred the judgment. He said, okay, I'm not going to judge you yet. I'll wait till you go. And do it on another generation that's all bad. My paraphrase. So he was spared by, he never even saw it. Enoch was spared by instant rapture. He was just zapped to heaven. He was taken away. Lot, I didn't tell you how he was spared. God told Lot, get out of here, I'm going to burn up this place and go fast. He literally had to run. 
virtually coattails on fire. Josiah saw nothing. Enoch was beamed away. Noah had to ride it through. That couldn't have been fun. Lot had to run. So God delivers people, but he does it in different ways. Enoch's was easy. Josiah's was easy. Noah's was hard. Lot's was hard. But he spares them his judgment. You know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God sent a couple of angels and said, you take your family and get on out of here because I'm going to destroy this place. And uh, people in town try to molest the angels. Great city. Sort of like, yeah, that, we know. That's, that's why we're doing it. So they went into Lot's house. They tried to kick down the door to get at him. It was a horrible story. And the next day they said, time, get out of here. Take your family and go. Some of his family wouldn't go. They thought he was nuts. There's plenty of room on that boat. Noah's boat, nobody wanted on. They thought he was nuts. They thought Lot was nuts too. Next time you see somebody holding up a, a little thing on the street that says the end is nigh, don't be so quick to think they're nuts. One of these days, somebody's going to be right. <laughs> so I learned three things. One, the key to being delivered is to walk with God. Number two, God delivers people in different ways. And number three, and this one's king, God does not pour out his wrath on his people. He'll either spare the city or rapture you out or send you an angel to get you out of Dodge. But God does not judge the righteous, his people, along with the wicked. Don't let it ever cross your mind. God destroyed the world. God destroyed Israel. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I got some good news and I got some bad news. Bad news, God's going to destroy the planet again. Or come real close to it. Listen, this is Jesus speaking. Then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. If you want to read about that evil, just read the book of Revelation. It's going to be bad, bad days coming. God will judge the entire earth. But what about his people? We've already learned God doesn't judge his people. So how does he judge the earth without judging his people? Well, for starters, there's going to have to be another great escape. I think what God did for Enoch, he's going to do for all his people left on the planet when that day comes. We call it the rapture. Some people have asked me, Steve, do you believe in the rapture? I'm like, yeah. How? I, I, like, I don't understand the question. Is that a trick question? The Bible talks about a rapture. How can I not believe in the rapture? Well, what do you mean the Bible talks about a rapture? I just thought some people believed in the rapture and some people didn't. I said, no, that's nothing to pick and choose. The Bible says there's going to be a rapture. He said, what you may not understand is people aren't in agreement as to when it's going to happen. Some people think it'll be before the tribulation period, this great judgment time. Some people think it'll be right in the middle. Some people think it'll be at the end. There are disagreements over that, but you really can't have a disagreement over the rapture. The Bible says there's going to be a rapture. Well, where does it say that, Steve? And so I show them. The confusion is you can text the word or Google the word rapture, and you won't find a verse that uses the word rapture. That's where the confusion comes from. Because that word rapture comes from the Latin translation of the Bible, which we don't read. If it was a more uh, modern translation, we would call it the 
catching up or the taking away. And it's based on several passages of Scripture, but primarily this one. Listen. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be raptured, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Yeah, I believe in the rapture. Ah, but when do you think it's going to be? I don't know. No, no, do you think it's going to happen before the tribulation or after the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation? I'll tell you exactly what I think. But before I do, let me tell you something more important. I don't care what you think. And I hope you don't care what I think. What I mean by that is, some of us are right and some of us are wrong. Big whoop. There are people that will leave a church over this topic. Now, that's just wrong. Let's leave the planet together when God calls, but not leave one another's fellowship because we have a different interpretation as to when a certain biblical event and prophecy is going to happen. Where does love come in? (laughs) Isn't love a bigger doctrine than that? Can't we extend grace to somebody and allow them to be wrong? I certainly can. And I can even say, and extend the grace to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not going to know until I hear the trumpet. And I'm sure my first thought won't be, ah, I told you. You know, it's not going to happen. Later. Because you think if you believe in the pre-trib rapture and a friend of yours doesn't, but he's a believer, and you're right, God's going to leave him behind because his theology was wrong on that one topic. Oh, man, you wanted to wait, so you're waiting. You know, God's going to take his people when he's ready to take them. That's what I believe. I do think it's going to be beforehand because the Bible says we're not appointed to wrath and God's going to judge the earth. So I think that's going to be our great escape. Might I be wrong? Sure. I could be wrong. I don't care. It doesn't affect the way I live. It doesn't change anything about me. I believe the Lord's going to call me when he's ready and I'm good with that. Peter said this, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. He's going to grab us when he's good and ready. I think it's going to be before the great tribulation. But let's say I'm right and God takes every believer out of the planet. What does that mean? Everybody that's left is a non-believer for a little while. Because some people are going to say, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Where did everybody go? Or they'll read from the Bible, oh, no, and they'll become God followers. God's still going to judge the planet, but God doesn't judge his people along with those people. How are they going to escape? Well, they're going to escape, too. You know, there's a place in the book of Revelation where this demonic horde of <laughs> grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah, just you've got to see a picture. It just doesn't sound right. Evil demonic grasshoppers come out to torture people. But God says, make sure you mark the servants of mine in the forehead. And these demons, leave them alone. So when God is plaguing the earth, his people escape. No problem. There's going to be this time in in the book of Revelation, it says the, the dragon fights with the woman and goes to make war with her descendants and tries to, um, 
send a flood to, to devour them up, but the earth opens and swallows the flood. And it's like, what, what is all this? This is God's people running from Satan and God doing everything to make sure they're safe. That's what it is. I think it's Israel in that context that Satan's going to try and wipe them all off, but God's going to let them live. Now, I told you I had good news, I got bad news, I got good news, it goes back and forth. The good news is we're going to be raptured. Good news is we got heaven. Good news is after the tribulation period. See, in the Bible, if you read through the prophets, God says, I'm going to judge you for your sin. But after that, I'm going to bless those who are left. So the blessings after this tribulation are going to be amazing. thousand years of paradise on earth. A short interlude, then an eternity of paradise. So the blessings that are coming are great, and God will not judge his people. That is great, comforting news. But just because God will spare you his judgment doesn't mean he will spare you the wrath of man. That's why people get shot. That's why people get hit by drunk drivers. That's why people get cancer and die. God will spare us his wrath not necessarily Satan's wrath, not necessarily man's wrath. Listen. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. They had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. That's the mark of the beast. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These people were not judged by God, but they still lost their lives. They died as martyrs because of the evil people that were left on the planet. God does not spare his people. Sometimes he does. I mean, Daniel was in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't get scorched. Sometimes God spares his people. But there's no promise that he will. The promise is he will never judge his people along with the wicked. That stands. But whether wicked people have their way with you, who knows what God's going to do at any given time. So, let me put it all together. Here's what we've learned today. God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot walked with God, and he was spared. God poured out his wrath on Israel and Judah, but Josiah walked with God, and Josiah was spared. God poured out his wrath on the entire planet. Enoch was spared. Noah was spared. And God will again pour out his wrath on this planet, and his people will be spared. I use that word spared over and over and over again. It's not really the word I wanted to use. There's a synonym for spared. It's the word saved. Problem is, in the church, when people hear the word saved, they immediately think of their souls. That's not a bad thing, but that's not the full meaning of the word. Most of the time, people are saved in the Old Testament. It means saved from disaster. Their bodies are saved, not their souls. So I wanted you to hear it from that perspective before I used that word. Because the greatest Savior of all is Jesus Christ, who spares us from God's wrath. Do you realize that's why Jesus suffered on the cross? God's wrath was going to be poured out on us. What was he going to do? We know what he did with Noah, but this was the big wrath. This was the wrath because of sin. For our souls, he could have sent us all to hell. God said, I've got a plan. I will pour out my wrath, but I'll pour it out on me, on my son. 
Jesus suffered God's wrath in your place. So when I tell you you will never suffer God's wrath, it's because Jesus already suffered it for you. And the Bible says we were in Christ, and we died with Christ, and we rise with Christ. We've been resurrected. So God sees his wrath as being completely satisfied because he's already poured it out, and Jesus took it all. That's why we're good to go if we're followers of Jesus. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, we don't get off scot-free. Jesus was crucified for us. That's not free. And the thing is, we should never want to sin again because that then makes light, it makes shame, it makes mockery out of what Jesus did. Ah, thanks for dying for me, dude. I'm going to go sin now. You see how that would be? What he endured to save us from sin, and we're going to go embrace it. We're humans. We can't always help ourselves. I understand that. And there's no condemnation if you're a follower of Jesus. Just repent and move on and thank Jesus for his graciousness. What I'm trying to tell you is don't willingly fall. Don't go after it with abandon. Hate sin. Look what it did to your Savior. Look what it does to your loved ones. Hate it and try to avoid it. But I said more than once, for those who walk with God, those who walk with God, those who walk with God, those who follow Jesus, those who follow Jesus, what about everybody else? They're the ones that got wiped out in the flood. They're the ones that got destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're the ones that are going to be destroyed when God pours out his wrath on this earth. Bummer. But nobody has to be one of them. It's voluntary. The choice is ours. We can choose to follow God or not. And so my, my urging is that you would make that decision before it's too late. And I don't know when it's too late. And neither do you. It's definitely not a risk worth taking. Don't say, oh, I'll put it off till tomorrow. First of all, you don't know that you got it tomorrow. How many of you have ever seen somebody die before their time? May I see your hands? Exactly. They thought they had tomorrow too. May God grant you thousands of tomorrows. But he may not. So don't put something like that off. Two passages of scripture, same chapter of the Bible, sharing two of the same three numbers. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that. They memorize it. They put it on their eyes at football games. But there's another verse, a few verses down. It's not John 3.16. It's John 3. 3, 6, John 3.36, listen to what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. God has done and is doing everything he can to save people. Let's commit within our souls to do the same. Everything within our power, everything we can to save people. If you're already a follower of God, praise Him every day and thank Him for what He's done for you. If you're not yet a follower of God, let me urge you, don't put it off. Wrestle with this big issue. Think it through. Even pray. Say, God, 
Help me see. Help me know. And make that big decision. Please join me in prayer. Lord, what more can I do? Show me. Help me to do it. And I'm not just praying for me. I'm praying for all of us. That you would help us to spread the message of salvation. We don't want to be like Lot, whose family refused and they were left behind and toasted. We don't want to be like Noah to watch all the rest of his neighbors destroyed. Lord, we want people to be saved. But they don't listen to us. They mock us. They refuse to hear. And we get sick of telling them. Sometimes embarrassed to tell them and ashamed. Help us not to be that way, Lord. Not to be cowardly. Not to be not to be the ones that give up. Help us to be your ambassadors. Fill us with your spirit. Give us everything we need. Help us to save people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.